to you. Please have, please have a seat. So, today, um, uh, first of all, Pastor Tiemann, if you didn't see the promo video, uh, sends his greetings. He's in Phoenix, Arizona, somewhere much warmer than here. I was there too. It was a blast. It was at uh, the Best Practices for Ministry Conference. A lot of good times. Um, uh, I got a little too sunburned, but that's okay. But it was a good time. We're continuing now our sermon series for Lent on Sundays, uh, SCARS, this acronym about the process of forgiveness that is in play in all of our lives. This week, we're taking a look at the first letter, which stands for SIN. But before we do that, I'd like you all to uh, turn and talk to your neighbor real quick and ask them this question. It could be the person next to you, your family around you, or that random person that's sitting next to you. Be friendly. It'll be fun. But ask them this question. If you were known for one thing, what do you think that would be? Go for it. Now it's back on. We're good. But yeah, it's interesting to think what you and I could be known for. Um, the different things that people see that we do that define us. The good and the bad and everything in between. And today, and for a lot of this series, we're going to be taking a look at a very well-known Bible character. A person in the Bible. And his name is Peter. We know a lot about Peter, a lot of good and a lot of bad. In fact, some would argue, and I would certainly agree, that Peter is the only other fully formed character in the Gospels besides for Jesus. If we take a look at the graph up here, of course, it's all about Jesus, so Jesus is number one. But if you look, Peter is number two, and if you look at all the 11 other disciples, I know that print's kind of small, but if you squint, you can see, but... Um, uh, all of them, it's a much smaller percentage, and if you look at the stats for it, Peter is more prominent and is used more than five times the amount than any other of the 12. Peter's a big deal in the New Testament. And the first moment we are introduced to Peter, he goes by a different name. His name is Simon. Now, Simon was on a boat fishing. This was the family business, his call, his future. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus addresses Peter as the son of Jonah. And immediately, without doing anything to earn a new name, Jesus declared that Simon would now be called Cephas, translated Peter. This new name that Jesus gives to Simon is Peter, which means the rock. I like the fact that Jesus changed his name without him having done anything first. He probably didn't even know the guy. Hey, Simon, no, your name is Peter now. And he gives him this prominent, this exceptional name, meaning the rock, 
this strong thing of significance, something solid, unshaken, true. Many times we get it wrong and we think that God only loves you and I if we first prove to him that we're perfect, that we're worthy of his acceptance. And this story of Peter kind of goes against that. Peter didn't do anything at all to deserve it or earn it. Jesus kind of just walked by and called him Peter. Some of us go our whole lives fighting for God's approval, but you don't need to do anything to make God love you. He already does. You might not think you are special enough for Jesus to call someone like you, but the more that we take a look at the story of Peter, we realize there isn't all that much about him that stands out. In fact, he seems like a very unlikely candidate to become Jesus' best friend. A pastor who's much smarter than me named Adam Hamilton wrote a book about Peter and said this about him. In the Jewish population, there was a class of people going back hundreds of years before the time of Jesus and Peter called Ham Haaretz. This phrase literally means the people of the land. This term has an interesting history, but by the time of Peter, it meant the people that were poor, uneducated, lower class, and particularly people who were not careful or cared that much about their observance of the law. Now, Acts 4, verse 13, describes Peter as one of these people of the Lamb, one of these Am Haaretz. He's an unschooled and ordinary man. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to college. He probably failed out of high school. And yet we have through this ordinary, unschooled man, a man who would become Petros, the right-hand man of Jesus. God saw something in Peter. And God sees something in you too. In fact, Peter in the Gospels can represent all those who follow after Jesus, all those who are his disciples. And just like Peter, Jesus sees not who you are, but who you can be, regardless of what you've done or what other people have said about you. Now, changing gears a bit, how many of you guys have all seen the TV show called The Voice? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Got a couple. Oh, we got a lot of them in here. Very good. Okay, so it's been one of the most popular TV shows on for more than a decade now, so I hope you've seen it. But um, uh, yeah, for those of you that haven't, it's a, um, a singing competition with a unique twist on it. Before um, it was happening, um, there were different singing competitions, American Idol, different things like that. Sometimes it would be this problem that if you were cool or like you had a fun story about you, that sometimes mattered a little bit more than how good you were at actually singing or actually doing things. But it wasn't the case with the voice. With the voice, um, it took that out of the equation. All that mattered was the music due to the blind audition round. So what would happen is you would have the person up front on stage, and then you have these panel of four judges, different big musical performers of their day. I remember Blake Shelton was one of them because I like country music, because it's cool. But um, uh, anyway, but um, uh, there were four of these judges, um, and they would um, have their backs to the contestant, so they couldn't see what on earth this person looked like. 
who they were, anything like that. Um, all that mattered was the music. And this person would be up there singing their heart out with the hope that one of these judges would hit this big red button right in front of their chairs. And then the sign would light up that says, I want you. That chair would spin around, and then they would start listening to the person singing the rest of their song. It means that the judge is picking the contestant sight unseen to be on his or her team. They coach them through the rest of the rounds and uh, hopefully win the competition in the end. The voice puts singing on display and hid the rest of the individual. Now, for those of you who have seen it, I think we can all agree that it really it's the first round is fun and then it gets boring after that. But no, it certainly makes for the best television. Um, it's intense to see someone singing her heart out for a panel of judges who may or may not choose her and can't even see her. Sometimes all four judges will turn their chairs around. Then these musical legends all start fighting over each other. Who's going to be this person's coach, this person's mentor, this person's friend? But the craziest thing to see in this show is what happens when none of those chairs turn around. If we're being honest, it's a downright depressing scene sometimes. The message is clear. No one wants you. You're not good enough. Go back to singing at the local karaoke bar, your cousin's birthday party, the shower, um, wherever it might be, but not in this competition anymore. We, and I think, though, if we're going to be honest here, I think a lot of our lives, guys, is a lot like these blind auditions. We display the best that we've got, these things that we're very proud of, and we're just waiting for someone to hit a button. Auditioning our hearts for approval and acceptance. And the judges that we've appointed are sitting in chairs that we furnished in our minds. Now, this that panel of judges can vary from person to person, but our driving motivation is always the same. We're trying to find acceptance from others while trying not to let our brokenness show too much. You display the best and you hide the rest. Maybe for you, your parents are in one seat, your siblings, your boss at workplace may own another, but he's not here. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe it's that cool person at school if you're still that age and hoping that you get invited to that one party, that you're in that one friend group, that you get that sense of belonging with these other people. Man, I would just wish they would notice me, they would compliment me, that they would love me. Tell me why I have what it takes and just hit that button. Well, there is one who is seated, not in a big red chair, but on the throne of heaven. He's not in just any chair. He's in the only chair that matters. And he's already declared to you this incredible truth. He's declared to each and every one of you, I want you. He's the only one who has the power to give us the true approval that our hearts crave. And he has already given it to you fully and freely. Before you did anything, just like Peter fishing, God had his sights on you. He gives you a new identity. 
He sees something in you. And so many of you here today hear this from heaven. Before you were born, before you breathed, before you had even the opportunity to show off or screw up, God declared to you, you're mine. I've chosen you. And he hasn't chosen you blindly or unintentionally, but he's chosen you while knowing you intimately and inwardly, knowing what your past has been, knowing where you are now, and knowing what you'll do in the future. Despite all the problems we have, the different wounds that might define us or we might be known for, God declares, I want you. But even after receiving grace and a new identity in Jesus, there are still times that we fail to live up to the name that God places on us. Peter had the same problem. Once again, Adam Hamilton also says, how could Jesus call Simon a rock? After all, this man is going to blow it consistently. He'll be less like a rock and more like a reed or a blade of grass, easily moved, swayed, or broken. He misses the point again and again. Now, let's be honest. Peter does a lot of things right. Now, after Jesus called Peter to be his disciple, one of his followers, the text says that immediately Peter followed Jesus. He did what he was told. That was the sort of guy that Peter was. He didn't think twice. He was all in all the time. Peter became the outspoken leader of the disciples as well. In any list or anything like that with the disciples in the Gospels in the New Testament, Peter's name is always mentioned first. He was the natural-born leader that was never afraid to speak his mind or to make the big move. In fact, Peter, in one of his most well-known stories, is the one who had the courage to jump out of the boat and walk on water towards his Savior. There was another day that Peter really lived up to his name. As tensions were rising quickly between Jesus and the Jewish leaders of the day, Jesus took his disciples aside, and the story goes as following. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In this exchange, Peter gets it so right on this confession of Peter, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus assures him that he will build this church, not only on Peter's confession, but that Peter himself will have a pivotal role in this process as well. 
Jesus is appointing Peter to become the first pastor in Christ's church. And many others followed. In a few short years, after answering the call to be a disciple of Jesus, now Peter had become Jesus' right-hand man. We know there were 12 disciples, 12 of these close group, but there was also the inner three with Peter and James and John. They got even more access into special opportunities that Jesus had. Put simply, there may be no other human being in the history of the world that Jesus invested in, believed in, entrusted, empowered, and given personal access to like Peter. Peter was Jesus' close friend. So now, with all this background in place, Peter is now dining around a table at the Last Supper with Jesus. Jesus declares that not only will one of the 12 disciples betray him, but that all of his disciples would fall away from him. In response to this claim, Peter boldly declares, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. A statement you'd expect from the rock. Peter's not afraid to be outspoken, and if anyone should be the guy to never fall away, honestly, it should have been Peter. I love Peter, though. Even in his bold statements to do the right thing, he has a tendency to throw all of his friends under the bus. <laughs> but even if everyone falls away in this room, I never will, is what he says. But Jesus comes back to him and says this, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter responds and declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. Peter doubles down. I'll die before I deny. It's interesting that that phrase, all the other disciples said the same. Because the last I checked, we only hear about Peter's denials. This is what happens with leaders when the camera's attention is on them. Uh, leaders tend to get the brunt of the blame, even if it's the whole team's fault. We continue on. Nevertheless, Peter, this outspoken disciple, became known for his denials. Very few stories are captured in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 is a key one. Uh, baptism of Jesus and, of course, his crucifixion and his resurrection but this is one of the ones that's in all four, Peter's denials. Here's the story from Luke's perspective. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another said, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned 
and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter, the rock, Jesus' best friend, flat out denied him when he needed him the most. What's truly striking about this story is Peter's lack of courage. After all, Peter is the one that jumped out of the boat, cut a servant's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane when they were arresting Jesus, made bold proclamations about who Jesus was time and time again. You get the feeling he was able to stand up to anyone and anything. And yet here he is at his first denial, warming his hands by this charcoal fire, crumbling in front of one little servant girl. These denials wounded him. He ran out and he wept the bitter tears of regret. Sometimes, even with the best intentions, the world's weight falls on us. And we make decisions that may feel good in the moment, but they ultimately wound us in the long run. This ultimately is what sin does. Peter sinned. Badly. We live in a world, in a culture today, that likes to tell everyone that they're good just the way that they are. We celebrate everyone's uniqueness We encourage them. We tell them, like, you do you. We're taught to be fully affirming of every person. There's a problem with this, and it's simple. We're all sinners. We're all sinful. Everyone carries wounds in some way. And the worst thing we could do for one another is to pretend like we're perfect. And so we'll put some band-aids on these wounds that we have and we want to hide them away so that no one else notices and just show our best. Hoping that no one notices the rot that's happening underneath. If you're like me, you've been trying to heal these wounds for years, maybe decades for some, to become a better version of yourself. You thought you wouldn't be struggling with the same sins that you've been struggling with after all these years. You're what? Still a child, 18, 27. Yeah, I'm younger than I look, I don't know. It's the receding hair, I think, but. Uh, 50, measure of strength, you might be 80. But you might be like, why am I still struggling with the things that I was struggling with so much when I was a child still? And you know, I can't think of anyone in this life that's been harder on me about all these sins that I seem to keep doing besides for myself. Any of you guys like that a little bit? And there's this twisted version of reality that thinks, if I just get a little bit better, keep improving, become wealthier, get a better job, better relationship, then everything will be great. This version of yourself in your head with the Fancy car with cash falling out of your pockets, six-pack abs. I haven't given up hope yet. Um, But 
all these different things that if it, you keep accruing them, the problem is they will never complete you. You will always find something about yourself that you won't like. Why? Because you're sinners. The last thing we should do for one another as we gather in a church family worshiping together is to be fake and act like we don't have it fully put together. Church, the gathering together of all believers in Jesus is not a museum for the righteous where we display all the amazing things that we've done. It's a hospital for wounded sinners. And so as we look at scars, the first thing we need to do is rip the band-aids off so we can heal those band-aids that say, no, I'm good just the way that I am. No, we're not. I can see the band-aid on you. I can imagine you probably see it on me too. So stop trying to hide it. Admit we're sinners and in need of God's grace. The admission price of freedom starts with an admission of our sin. For those of you who picked up the Forgiveness Challenge devotional, um, we gave out these devotional guides as well, where you could write a goal for yourself um, for what you were wanted to do for it, um, uh, stuff of that nature. Here's mine. Um, I want to receive and offer forgiveness every day. I'll never be free. I'll never be able to achieve this goal if I can't admit my own weaknesses, my mistakes, and the wounds which mark the course of my life. And if you think I'm being hard on you, um, let me just start by saying this. Hi, I'm James Kirk, and I'm a sinner. I'm wounded. In the past, I've struggled with lust, with greed, a lot of pride. I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any of you on the comparison game. I've been apathetic, careless, calloused, pretty hard-hearted. The last thing I want from any of you is to accept me for today for who I am. Please don't. I mean, why would you? Now, at the same time, I'm not saying you have to be mean to me. But to accept the totality of me? No, that's not what this is all about at all. Please don't, because I'm not okay with who I am today, and I want to get better. And here's the truth here, guys. God loves you for who you are, but his love doesn't leave you just as you are. Hopefully, as we sit in the sin of Peter, his denials, We'll learn to sit in ours as well. Next week, we'll turn to confession, the next letter in the acronym, and bring those sins to God. But for today, let's just sit in ours. But in closing for today, I want you guys to see this here, that God has chosen you, not because of your actions and what you've done or will do, but because he loves you. The first step in freedom is to see your need for it. Once again, the admission price of freedom begins with an admission of your sin. But we have a God who isn't afraid of sin, who isn't afraid of any wound. 
a God who will enter in even if it cost him his life. And even now, this God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is seated on the throne of God and sees our every sin, our every need. And he says these great words of comfort to each and every one of you. I want you. So rip the band-aids off. Come and be healed. Answer the call. Amen. Starting this